0: Well, will you please open your Bible with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. After we finished the book of Ecclesiastes, we entered into a new series where we're going to learn about our church DNA. It's a good time to go back to the fundamentals and to ask ourselves, what are we building, what are we becoming as a church? So we're going to spend several weeks on Anchor DNA, and then after that, we're going to do an apologetic series, Uh, And then in the fall, we're going to start a new book. Uh, But we're going to go to John chapter 4, and we're going to cover two pillars of our four pillars. Pastor Stephen last week, if you were here, covered uh, two of our pillars, right? Uh, He covered preaching and prayer. And then this morning, I'm going to cover evangelism and worship. Here's a picture of our four pillars. From the very beginning, when we launched, everything that we have built, that God has built, has been built upon these solid biblical Uh, fundamentals fervent prayer bold preaching passionate worship and courageous evangelism our four pillars are the foundation everything we build is built on those things in every ministry in students in kids that's what we're building upon and uh, today we're going to be in john chapter four which is one of the most famous stories in the new testament jesus and the woman at the well and in this story which is where our worship pillar comes from we are going to find both worship and evangelism our evangelism pillar technically comes from Ephesians 6, 19 to 20, and we'll reference that later. But we're going to pull both of the pillars out of this amazing story of Jesus with the woman at the well. So in John chapter 4, we're actually going to start in verse 4. Jesus was on the road with his disciples, and it says in John 4:4, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, Jews um, back in this day were Jewish. They were Jewish. They married Within that ethnic national tribe. And so, uh, if you went to Israel, if you went to Jerusalem back in Jesus' day, you would see all Jewish, only Jewish people. They were occupied by Romans, uh, but the Jewish people kept their culture, their nation intact. So, the Samaritans were half Jewish. Uh, they were half Jewish. And so, to go through Samaria uh, was something that purebred, full Jewish people didn't really like to do. Here's a picture of a map from Jesus' day. And what you'll see is Judea was down in the south. Galilee, you can see all these names that you know. There's Perea, uh, the Decapolis. Samaria was in the middle of Galilee. You know, the Sea of Galilee was up there. (coughs) Cana, the wedding of Cana, Nazareth. And then Jerusalem, the capital, was down south. So it was a big problem that you had to go through this Land of Samaria to get from here to there. Sometimes they would cross the river and just stay away from Samaria because they didn't want to interact with those people. So Jesus had to go through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So this is like noon a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You can write this down, number one, in your notes. First thing we're going to do is meet the woman at the well. We're going to meet the woman at the well. Three points in the sermon. We'll meet the woman at the well, then we'll talk about the two pillars that spring out of this that our church is built upon. The woman at the well uh, is a woman of Samaria. Let's get our historical bearings here. Um, Abraham had Isaac, who had Jacob. From Jacob came the 12 tribes of Israel. So being by the well of Jacob that Jacob gave to Joseph, you can hear these names in the Old Testament. This is a pretty famous place that they are sitting uh, this well, I don't know if you've been to a famous place in the U.S. I've been to a few famous places, right, whether it's a scenic place uh, or, like, I went to the place where JFK was shot. And when you're walk, when you there, you're like, whoa, this is a famous place. This is the place on all of those videos, right, and all those TV specials. When you're in a famous place, you can feel uh, the, the gravity uh, behind it, the lineage. And so they were at this famous place. This is actually where faith began. This is where Abraham entered the land. He set up an altar to the Lord, and the Lord appeared to him right here. This is also when the Israelites came in Uh, after wandering in the wilderness for a long time. Their faith formally began in the land here, when they stood on two of the mountains uh, close by this field, and they shouted the blessings and the curses of the law to one another. Can you imagine millions of people standing on the mountains, shouting the blessings of God from the one hill, and shouting the cursings of God from the other? It started here. This was a place of beginnings of faith. Jesus now, speaking to the Samaritan woman, we're supposed to understand that this is a wonderful beginning and a famous place and the faith that Christ is bringing, this is a new beginning. And it's a new beginning for this woman. What is a Samaritan? Well, the Assyrians invaded Israel and captured the northern kingdom in 722 BC. They deported the Jews and imported the Gentiles. Um, and so this was a mixed group. Because they were conquered, this became a mixed people, part Jewish, part not. Because of that, they were always ostracized. They weren't welcome in the religious community. They were seen as spiritually inferior and dirty. People didn't even want to touch them because they could spiritually pollute, be polluted by them. So in 400 BC, the Samaritans set up their own temple, right? Close by on one of the mountains. And then the Jews came and destroyed it because that's not what you're supposed to do. So you can feel the tension. You can feel the history. You can feel the animosity. It's all here in this story. So she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. When it comes to this woman, we notice she's alone. We notice she's at a well alone. It's noon. It's hot. This is very unusual. Um, Women usually would be together for protection's sake, safety, but also for community. They would always be working together. Uh, This woman was alone alone. And we find out through this story that her life is really a mess. So you can write this down. This point is actually written in her as if she was telling her story. My life was a hot mess. I was alone and ashamed. That's her story. Maybe that's your story right now. My life is a hot mess. I was alone and I was ashamed. It says here in verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. My life was a hot mess. I've had five husbands. And now I'm with a man who's not my husband. And I'm all alone in the heat of day, at a well. This woman's life was a hot mess. Think of who she is. The Jews were a small... Nation in the vast Roman Empire, they were nobodies. She's half that. Half of a nobody. What does that make you? And then being female, there is very chauvinistic culture. Women were accounted as nothing to begin with, no matter what country you were part of back then. Now she's half of a nobody nation, and even her own city wants nothing to do with her. Talk about being at the bottom of the bottom. Of the bottom while standing in one of the most amazing places on earth and talking to Jesus Christ my life was a hot mess I was alone ashamed rejected and Jesus should have seen her as immoral he could get in trouble talking to such a woman And he should have seen her as culturally and spiritually unclean. Now, this is really important because we know what it's like in our country to have segregation and to have people who look at other people as physically, right, below and not even want to touch or have shared utensils or whatever. Why? Because those people, right, are are below me. But listen, take it a step further. And imagine if you saw those people as having the power to spiritually pollute you. Meaning, because I've touched her, God wants nothing to do with me. Imagine that being beaten into your psyche from when you were young. Don't touch those people. Don't eat with them. Don't talk to them. Or guess what? God's not going to talk to you. And Jesus reached across all of that. And she was astonished. Who is this? Jot this down. Jesus found me and offered me eternal life. Jesus found me and offered me eternal life. Verse 10, Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus says, I'm exhausted. Can you give me a drink? She's like, you've got a problem because you don't have a bucket. And the well is deep. This well still exists today and it's over 100 feet deep. Very deep well. It's a good well. It's a famous well. And Jesus doesn't have any way to get water out of it. And she's kind of caught off. Oh, you're going to talk to me, huh? You're going to talk to me because you need something. You're going to talk to me because you need water. Oh, boy, don't you have a problem. And she kind of pushes back a little bit. Jesus makes it clear that while he needs water, she needs something bigger from him. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, this stands for eternal life. This stands for eternal life. What an offer! Jesus himself is offering her the gift of God, eternal life. At this well in the middle of nowhere. I think that when people were getting in the Bible, they should have been told they're getting in the Bible. Don't you think? She doesn't know it, but here we are thousands of years later and we're talking about this. I think if you knew you were getting on TV, you would want people to tell you, right? Like, hey, guess what? CNN's outside. They've got a camera. And as you walk outside, they're going to ask you some questions. You'd be like, what am I wearing? I mean, who's going to see this? You know what I mean? Like, we like to know these things. And this poor woman has no clue she's getting in the Bible. And Jesus is offering her eternal life. Jesus found me and offered me eternal life. Now look at verse 15. The woman said, give me this water so that I'll not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She wants it. She she wants in verse 14 this well, welling up to eternal life. She's mesmerized by Jesus. She's interested. So it goes on to say this Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now just take a moment to just think about what her life might be like. We don't know. We don't know of the five husbands. There was tragedy if one of them died. We don't know if she left them. Usually he would put, uh, back then the man would put the woman away. We don't know, but one, two, three, four, five. And now someone who either won't marry her or, imagine the pain, imagine the agony, imagine the heartbreak, imagine the feeling that nobody wants me for long. And here, Jesus, a man, is talking to her. A woman, and Jesus pokes this wound. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews." But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He's called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Write this down. I believed and I was saved. She heard this about the Messiah, and it goes on to say in verse 28 she left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She she was coming to the realization that this is the Messiah, and she couldn't wait to go in and tell people. She thought he was a prophet but then she realized he was the Christ, the one that her heart was waiting for. She believed the truth and she was saved. Even Samaritans who didn't believe all of the Old Testament would have known in Deuteronomy thirty four ten that a prophet like Moses would come, a deliverer. Jesus corrected some of her thinking and said that some of what she was believing was wrong because salvation is from the Jews. But her eyes were opened and implied in the text by her actions and her words was that she found the living water. She believed in Christ. And then jot this down. I went and told everyone the good news. She went and told everyone the good news. In verse, uh, in verse 27, we read that she left her water jar. Verse 28, come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And then it goes on in, uh, oh, they came out of the town and were coming to him in verse 30. And then in verse 40, It says, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Once she understood the truth about Jesus, she marveled. She spread the word because she became a worshiper, she became a witness and her whole city experienced revival because of her. What a precious, amazing story. Jesus models here for us that anyone, even a person who would be considered the bottom of the bottom of the bottom in the middle of nowhere, anyone can be saved. Anyone like her is on the heart of God at any moment. We don't know what her story is. Maybe she was sinful. Maybe she was unfaithful. Whether it's because of her immorality, whether it's because she was hurt, she was destitute because of what people had done to her. She was what would be pictured as a desolate person who needed eternal life. In a sense, she shows us ourselves. She's a portrait of each one of us. We keep coming back to the same well again and again, and again, and we are still thirsty, and we still haven't found it, and we're still all alone. And then Jesus shows up, and he offers us eternal life. And it doesn't matter what our past is. It doesn't matter what our pedigree is. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. He is offering us eternal life. Jesus is modeling for us evangelism. She's modeling for us becoming a worshiper of Christ, marveling, and then going and telling everyone what Jesus had done for her. Wow. We're going to now pull out of this story a few of our pillars as a church, as we keep circling back to think through some of what's happened in this story. Number two, you can jot this down. As a church, we lift high the name of Jesus in worship. We learn who Jesus is in this story and why we worship him. As a church, we lift high the name of Jesus in worship. We make disciples who worship Christ, and then those disciples go on to witness for him as well. But ultimately, faith begins when you worship Jesus Christ. This famous well is where faith, the faith that could lead anyone and everyone into heaven, if you believe, began here through Abraham. He believed, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Faith began here, and her faith began at this well, and your faith needs a beginning. A lot of people don't know this, but when it comes to your faith, It's not enough that you were raised in a religious household or that you had a denomination or that you went to some classes and checked off some boxes. Your faith has to have a beginning. And that happens when you become a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know who he is, you know what he did, and you have a personal saving relationship with him. As a church... This is, one of, this is what we do. We help people find Jesus and to worship him for the very first time and then to keep coming back each week to continue to worship him. Well, why would I worship Christ and how do I worship Christ? Our pillar comes from four um, verse, if you, if you read down, Jesus says, I think I have to turn my page back. Jesus says in 424, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We're going to zoom into that verse because that's where our pillar comes from. So jot this down. Worship Christ in truth. We have to worship Christ and we have to worship him in truth. This is the way we must worship him. What does it mean to worship Christ in truth? Why would we worship him? Well, because he's the only divine son of God. You can write that down. He's the only divine son of God. Jesus keeps talking about God as if he's his father. She said in verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father. When Jesus talked about God as being his father, he got in big trouble. In fact, check out John 5.18. We'll put it up on the screen. It says this. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Do you see why we worship Christ? Because he was claiming to be the divine son of God. He was claiming to be the divine son of God. So therefore, we worship Christ in truth, and that happens when we realize that he has the attribute of the Father, of God. So Jesus is the divine Son of God. He also here demonstrated his omniscience. He says here in verse 16, go call your husband. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right, you've had five, and the guy you're living with is not your husband. Hello! Whoa! There was no Facebook stalking back then, all right? There was no, he was checking out her profile and he saw her history. Uh, He had an omniscient mind. Now listen, this is, when it comes to the truth about Jesus, one of the most terrifying things that you should know about him. When he looks you in the eye, Jan, Juanita, oh, you love your Jesus, right? Right? until he looks you square in the eye and starts telling you things about yourself that only he could know. Then, that's supposed to light bulb moment for you, Sarah, that he knows everything you've ever done and thought and said and failed to do, he knows all of it, including your entire future. Now that right there, creates a crisis because you can't just like him. Oh, he's such a good guy, kind. No, he's divine. He's omniscient. He has a trait of God that only God has. That's why we worship him. But listen, that terrifying moment for her touched her heart because she knew she was talking to someone who could help her. Women felt comfortable with Jesus, sinful, sinful desolate, destroyed women felt comfortable in his presence. That's his touch. He's not there to crush her. He's there to save her. He's not there to crush you. He's there to save you. So we worship him in truth because he's the divine son of God. Now today we live in a world where people say you can believe anything you want about God. Doesn't even matter. As long as it's true for you, it's true. Hey listen, that contradicts what I'm teaching right now. If you're going to become a worshiper of Christ who receives the living water of eternal life, you can't just believe any old thing you want. You have to believe the truth. There are some faiths, uh, other religions teach very different things about Jesus, and they can't be all true at the same time. Uh, In Islam, they say God is not a father and he does not have a son. That contradicts what I'm telling you right now. So you can't just say, well, you know, they're both the same. And you can't say, well, they can both be true at the same time. They're very different. So I'm a father. Father's Day is coming up. I've got a picture uh, in the second service. I'm going to embarrass my kids with this picture. But I'm a father. I have children. And my children have grown up. Allie's at college. Cassie's going away to college. Jared's uh, you know, going into his sophomore year at high school. I'm a dad. And if you were to come up to me and say, no, you're not, I'd be like, huh? You're not a father and you have no children. That's a pretty foundational thing. If you want to know me and you want to have a relationship with me, you can't deny that I'm a father, okay? That's a dead end right there. We're not going to get along if you just reject the reality that I'm a father. The same is true with God. He's a father and he has one only begotten son, Jesus Christ. This is the truth about God. So therefore we have to accept monotheism and we have to accept this uh, paternity, this fatherly model of God. This is the trinity, right? We can't just believe any old thing. We have to believe the truth. Jesus corrected her gently. He said here, you worship, verse 22, you worship what you do not know. And to people who believe in many gods or people who would say God's not a father, this gently needs to be said to them too. You worship what you do not know. Your worship is not acceptable to a holy God because it doesn't align with the truth. And that's not popular to say today, but it must be said. For salvation, that's being saved. Salvation is from the Jews. It's from this faith that's been handed down from Abraham uh, down even here to this moment where Jesus is. So he's the divine son of God. Jot this down. He's the giver of eternal life. He's the giver of eternal life. Do you believe that? That's what we must believe. He's the giver of eternal life. John 5.24, we'll put it up on the screen. It says this, uh, John 5.24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life do you see how it comes from the word the truth you believe it and you have eternal life and you cross over from death to life this is a hard truth for humans to face do you agree with it do you agree that your starting position your original state when you enter this world is you are spiritually dead lifeless is that what you believe look in a casket that's you before jesus that's our truth That's our truth. If you don't start there, you won't worship Christ because you won't realize what he's going to do for you. Look in a casket. That's me before Jesus. That's eternal life that he is offering us. He's the giver of eternal life. We need it. This is the doctrine of man. We need it because we're spiritually dead. And the doctrine of Christ, he's the only one who can give it to you. You can't find it on Amazon. You can't find it on eBay. You you can't exchange the entire riches of the world for it. It's only in him. Worship Christ in truth because he's the only divine son of God, the giver of eternal life. Write this down. He's the savior of the world. He's the savior of the world. Salvation is from the Jews. And they said of him in verse 42, this is indeed the savior of the world. Here's a picture of a guy who saved a woman from drowning. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning photo. He's a crane operator and he was driving down the road and he saw this woman underwater drowning and he got in position and put himself in a place to rescue this woman's life. Now listen, look at that hand under the water. Okay, that's you. That's you. That's everyone around you. And Jesus reaches down and he's the only one who can save us. A rescued person worships Christ. So we lift high the name of Jesus in worship because he is the divine son of God. He is the giver of eternal life. He is the savior of the world. And it's the father who's seeking to save. It says the father is seeking such people to worship him. That's why he gave his only son. So that's the truth of worship. Now jot down B, worship Christ in spirit. So worshiping Christ in truth. Now let's talk about worshiping Christ in spirit. When it comes to worshiping in spirit, kind of has a double meaning, you need the Holy Spirit. That's actually this picture of the water, uh, the living water, that is the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit in you to be born again so that you can become a saved person who sings to Christ. But also your spirit Is impacted by that. And your soul is in it. Your soul is engaged. It's really in your heart that you love Jesus Christ. And that should be reflected here on Sunday morning. So worship Christ in spirit um, when your soul is changed. And ask yourself, how has your worship been? Now, this is a tough weekend because it's a holiday weekend. You probably woke up this morning and honestly, you were like, I'm not going. I'm not going, I'm going to sleep in, right? The thought crossed your mind. Maybe you were doing yard work yesterday, maybe you were shopping, I don't know. I woke up this morning and I said, I'm not going, (laughs) okay? So I get it. Our starting point Sunday mornings is our spirit is not ready yet. And on the way here, you got to get the praise music going. When you get here, hopefully on time, you're going to find some cheerful people. And then you're going to ready your soul to worship in spirit, Otherwise, it's just external. All right, now it's time to tell God we love him. We love him. All right, I love you. We did it. Now we're going to go home. The end. If it's just external, it's not worship in the spirit. So we worship Christ in the spirit. John 7, 37 to 39, we'll put that up on the screen, says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. Do you see? He said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When we sing, when we worship, it's spiritual. Our hearts are crying out to Him by His Spirit, who is within us. This water imagery is supposed to show that. Isaiah 66 2b says this, But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Boy, that's a good verse to have on your mind Sunday morning. I'm going to bring God a humble and contrite spirit, and I'm going to tremble at his word today. That happens in here. We make disciples as a church who worship Christ in spirit and in truth. Jot this down. Here are some specifics. It means you're singing because he saved you. You're singing because he saved you. Uh, now, maybe growing up, you were part of a spirit church. Maybe even it was a little more charismatic or Pentecostal. How many of you would say growing up, your church was definitely more like lively worship, like outgoing, you were free to express yourself, you know, and, 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 uh, and that was a value built into the church. Okay, uh, now others were raised in kind of a truth church where it was mostly like a truth encounter. Like you didn't really express much. It was kind of like shoulders up, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and if you were to like raise your hand up or both your hands up, people would kind of like look at you like what's going on over there. How many of you kind of grew up in a church like that where it was kind of like a truth church? All right, and then, and then I grew up in a really like, a Catholic church, very scripted. It was scripted, and you stick with, you sit, then you kneel, then you sit, then you stand, then you sit, and if you fell behind, the kneeler came down on my foot one time and crushed my toes because I fell behind, and I couldn't, Wait, you know, get the nice old lady next to me up because she was finishing her prayers and then she lifted it up and I had a broken toe. You can get hurt if you fall behind in those scripted churches, am I right? I don't know what your history is, but look, what is God seeking in you when you come here Sunday mornings? He, he wants you to have the truth nailed down about who he is and he wants your spirit to be full of joy. Now, we're not like, you know, a charismatic Pentecostal church. We're, you know, we're not a super traditional Bible church. So we, we kind of are free to express ourselves within a measured manner. And I remember there are some people in the past who told me, they came up to me and they're like, I raised my hand for the first time in church today. And they were like so happy. They're like, I did it. <laughs> and the... Uh, Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to learn to take, turn the dial up if you, you know. You know uh, but whatever it is, we are to bring, we are to sing because he saved us. And um, Isaiah 12, 3 and 5, we'll put, put that up on the screen. It says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. We've got to sing with joy and we've got to check our hearts every week, right? Maybe you're tired Uh, Maybe you feel um, that you've been struggling in worship recently. You're deflated. You can get distracted. Really what you just want is you just want it to be natural. You just want it to be a natural overflow of your heart to the Lord. Worship means singing because he saved you. Jot this down. Giving because you love him. Giving because you love him. So as a part of the worship experience, we have an offering. And you know, once you find a church to call home, you should be giving to the Lord. Uh, Old Testament and new, it makes it crystal clear that Worship involves giving. And so when you come to sing and to show God how much He means to you, you also give an offering um, cheerfully that you've decided in advance to give. That is a um, essential biblical part of your worship is to have um, an offering. The Old Testament and the New Testament both make that clear that God wants us to give an offering as part of our worship. He loves a cheerful giver, Um, And it it said in the Old Testament when they were setting up the tabernacle worship, God said this. He said, let no one appear before me empty-handed. Boy, that's convicting. So, you know, you can come and you can sing and you can... But if if the offering part is not a regular part of your worship, then there's something missing biblically. And God wants you to show your love for Him, not because you have to, but because you want to show Him how much you love Him through your giving. Why don't we give? Well, sometimes we give because we don't know what the Bible says. When I was starting to come to church, I was new Christian in college, and I never, ever heard what the Bible taught about worship. And pastor got up and he said, hey, look, you got to decide how to cheerfully give to the Lord. He said, there's many ways you can do it. In the Old Testament, they practiced something called the tithe, which was where you give God the first 10% of your crops or your, you know, flock or whatever. So he's like, that's a biblical form. <clears throat> it doesn't, you know, maybe people want to start smaller than that. It's all in the heart. Um, but as a college student, I was like, oh, okay, now I know. And so that's when I began giving because I was taught what the Bible said. And I've continued from that point on. Um, we are to give cheerfully, not fearfully. Um, So sometimes fear kind of gets in the way of giving. Sometimes it's greed. Sometimes people are just out to make as much as they can and money's their rival God. Uh, But if you're not giving, maybe God is inviting you today to worship him in spirit uh, by coming into his presence and bringing an offering. Giving because you love him. Singing because he saved you. Giving because you love him. And jot this down, serving because we're a body. Serving because we're a body. So you're giving of your time and your energy on Sunday morning in particular to make the worship service possible. How many of you serve on any ministry team on Sunday morning, whether it's hospitality or nursery or ushers or security or whatever? See, so we can't do it without you. Uh, I know of a church that one day gave all of their servants on Sunday the day off to show people how important they were. There were accidents in the parking lot. Kids were screaming in the service. You know, there was no car. I mean, it was like tragic. And he's like, see, now next Sunday, you're going to appreciate everyone who serves to make worship possible. So we're serving because we're a body. So number two, uh, number one, meet the woman at the well. Number two, we lift high the name of Jesus in worship. We worship him in truth because he's the only divine son of God, giver of eternal life, savior of the world. We worship him in spirit, By singing, by giving, by serving. And then number three, jot this down. We share the good news of Jesus with boldness. We share the good news of Jesus with boldness. The good news is that he's the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Jesus witnessed to her. She worshiped and went and witnessed to all of her people. And they believed, it says in John 4, verse 39... Uh, it says that they many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So our testimony can lead people to finding Jesus Christ so that they can be saved. And listen, I need, I need us to understand as a church the urgency of this pillar. Worship is one of our pillars. Evangelism is one of our pillars. We believe that people need to be saved. Saved forever. Saved from sin, saved from hell, they need that. We don't think people are going to be okay probably, right? We don't think that. We believe they desperately need to hear the gospel or they can't go to heaven forever. That's one of our pillars. I believe when I'm declaring the gospel here on Sunday morning that there are souls hanging in the balance. That maybe even right now there are people online, or people in this room who walked into this room today, and if this was your last day on earth, and you died in your sleep tonight, you would go off to eternal conscious torment. Eternal conscious torment. We believe that, and we preach the gospel to people who need to be saved. Maybe up to this point, you're like, oh, this Jesus sounds like a really friendly fella. And I'm telling you, he's your only hope of getting out of hell forever. I really want you to know that we believe that. The word rescued humiliates you because you have no power to save yourself. Here's a video of a motorcycle guy who crashed into a car. Check it out. And everybody around him got out of their cars because he was in trouble. When he collided with a BMW, what happened next is nothing short of amazing. As reporter Chris Jones shows us, almost a dozen people risked their own lives to save Wright, and it was all caught on camera. So that's you, right? That's me. And that's what the church does. That's what we do, evangelism. We find people who are burning under the car, and we all push and we all pull, and we see God save souls forever. I believe that's happening in our world today. It needs to happen. So we share the good news of Jesus with boldness. How do we do that? Well, I'll jot this down. We watch and pray for what we would call red apples. Red apples. What I mean by red apple is a ripened apple. So it's on the tree, it's green, and then it's, you know, getting green, and then, it's fi- and then it's finally red, and it's ready to be picked. That's what I mean by red apple. A red apple is a person who God has ripened to the gospel. God has gotten their hearts ready. And often, he gets them ready because they're hurt, because they're angry, because they're finally ready to be done with their life, they're empty, whatever it is. But often, God has dropped a house on these people they are red apples. Ask yourself, who are the red apples in your life right now? Who are the people that God is getting them ready to listen to the truth about Christ? It, usually it's people who are going through a hard time. Maybe not, but God is opening a door for you to meet with them, to love them, right? You're not going to sit them down and beat them over the head with the drill. I told you about this. You're going to go to hell if you don't. You know, no, 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 no. You're going to look for the red apple, and then you're going to spend some time with them, and you're actually going to reach out with. Look at how Jesus did this with the woman at the well, right? Was he gentle with her? Yeah. Did he go back and did he give her a little time to think about what he was saying? Was so gentle. She was a red apple. So you're looking for those people who are ripened to the gospel, and it's through prayer that hearts are ripened to the gospel. Ephesians six eighteen to twenty is where our pillar actually comes from. It says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador. I love that word. You're an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The prayer opens the door to the words being received by the person. So are you praying for the people in your life who are unsaved? your co-workers, your family, your kids, maybe even your spouse? Are you praying for God to ripen them to the gospel? Um, God will do it. He will open their minds so that they can understand it. He will open their hearts so that they won't be defensive, and then he will even touch their will to motivate them to see that this is the gift of God. So watch and pray for red apples. Jot this down. Ask heart-revealing questions. Ask heart-revealing questions. I like how Jesus models this for us, right? He's asking her questions. He's asking her about her life. He's telling her to do some things. He's getting the conversation going. Ask heart-revealing questions. Um, There's so many places where you can have a great spiritual conversation. I've had great spiritual conversations with people in McDonald's. Uh, There was this senior club, all these guys sitting around a table, and I was there with my Bible, and one of the guys made some wise comment about, oh, look at Holy Roller over there. And I'm like, oh, it's on. So I picked up my Bible and went to the, now I'm a member of the senior club, right? And I started talking to this guy, and oh my goodness, his friends threw him under the bus. Oh yeah, Harry over here, he's the wicked one of all of us. they started confessing all of his sins for him. Yeah, and he's just sitting there turning bright red. I'm like, sounds like you need Jesus. And I just shared the gospel right there in McDonald's, right? It was his fault. He opened his mouth. You never know, Uh, we were, many years ago, we were in the Grand Canyon. Here's a picture of the Grand Canyon hiking down. And just randomly, this guy was near us, and I just got to know him, young guy, and it turned out he was ditching a conference he was in town for, and he was, he was ditching a conference to go hiking. He was being naughty. And I said, well, what's the conference for? He's like, engineering. I'm an engineer. I was like, oh. And then I said, do you think that this world has a designer? And he's like, no. And I'm like, really? You're at an engineering conference, my friend. Do you really think all of this was made by nothing? And we had this amazing conversation about chaos theory and and chance and design in the Grand Canyon. You never know when you're going to have a divine appointment. I was in Ukraine several years ago, and uh, this guy was selling stuff on the street. And he was wearing a shirt that said, life is absurd. Life is absurd. And he didn't speak English. And so I said, your shirt says life is absurd. Do you believe that? And it was through a translator. Uh, We had this amazing spiritual conversation about whether or not life has a meaning on the streets of Kiev because he wore a shirt that said "Life is absurd." Turns out, he actually left any hope of God because when he was a child, he tried to pray in school before class started, and his teacher wanted him, smacked him on the hand, and said, "Don't do that. We don't pray in this country. We don't pray in this school." And he he was like, "Oh," and he was so hurt by that he just never wanted to try again. And so we had a great conversation. All of these things come up when you ask questions. Tell me your story. Where are you at with God? How are you feeling about him? What do you believe about Jesus? Questions, questions, questions. And then jot this down. Talk about Jesus with clarity and confidence. We share the good news of Jesus with boldness. We talk about him with clarity and confidence. Jesus corrected her truth. You're worshiping what you do not know. You have to get to the point where you can show somebody, look, um, you really need what I'm sharing with you right now. And what I'm sharing with you is very different from what you believe. Uh, and what you believe is not going to lead you to eternal life. The point has to come when you can show them that. I'm offering you something in Jesus Christ that can change your eternity. And I'm inviting you right now, today if you hear his voice, today, right? She left her water jar. She left it. That represents that she found something that she, she needed her whole life. It represents she's walking away from everything she thought would fill her. She's leaving the water of Jacob's well. She she realizes Jesus is the only thing she really needs now. And that walking away from the jar of water can show that you know you have to leave things behind. You have to forsake all other springs, and Jesus becomes your source of eternal life. Has that happened to you? Have you been changed? But this message really is about our church. We are a church that shares the good news of Jesus with boldness. And you, if you commit yourself, if we commit ourselves to reaching out and sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness, we will see God time and again open doors for us to share our faith. One last story. When I stopped being a youth pastor and started training for uh, senior pastoral ministry, I didn't know how my old teenagers were going to you know, work out. We were doing a lot of work in the high schools around western suburbs, Glenbard East, Glenbard South. And so one of my old students, John, reached out to me on like a Saturday, and he's like, hey, do you want to speak at our gospel outreach event at our Glenbard South this Saturday? I'm like, what? You're doing a gospel rally? Oh yeah. I was like, what are you doing? Four schools are getting together, we're playing dodgeball, it's going to be awesome. Okay. So I met with them on like Tuesday. These four students decided to form a dodgeball competition and then turn it into a gospel presentation. I said, well, how many people are coming? They're like, well, we've got like four registered now, but don't worry, they're going to come. And I was like... What? And then one of the kids, a junior, said, you're going to share the gospel, right? That's why we want you to come here. I'm like, he's getting sassy with me. He's like, you know why you're coming. You're going to share the gospel. It's a high school. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to share the gospel. It's going to be all right. So here's a picture of what happened. Uh, over 200 kids showed up to this dodgeball outreach rally, uh, and they came. They wore t-shirts. They got really into it, and I shared the gospel, and I invited kids to stand up and come down onto their own gym floor and to be saved in the lower left. Those are all the kids that got up and came forward to receive the gift of eternal life. And here's the best news. Those high schoolers who invited me to come, they were ready. They were planning in advance. Okay, now we're going to split them up and then we're going to sit with them on the floor and we're going to tell them about Jesus. See, that's evangelism. And as a church, I want you to know that with courage and confidence, you can learn to share your faith with others. And as a church, this is one of our pillars, we will continue to share the good news of Jesus with boldness. Well, hey, number one, meet the woman at the well. Number two, we worship, we lift high the name of Jesus in worship. And number three, we share the good news of Jesus with boldness. I hope this fires you up and I hope it's something that you will embrace as we continue to become the church that God wants us to be. Hey, let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask him to continue to make us this this church built on these four pillars. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your grace and your love toward us. And these pillars, oh Lord, that we're built on come straight from the scripture. And Jesus, you modeled for us what it means to talk to people about eternal life in you today. And we pray that you would Help us to be a church that worships you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we pray that you would give us opportunities to boldly share the gospel with people who desperately need to hear it to be saved forever and ever and ever. And Lord, as you build us up to be that church, I pray that you would help us to stay focused on who it is that we are to become. And anyone here today, oh Lord, whose heart has resonated with this story, who would say to themselves, I'm that person, I'm that person at the well, I need the free gift of eternal life. I pray that as it says in your word, that they would stop doubting and believe and have eternal life right now. Lord, we lift all this up to you and we pray this in your name. Amen.